0: Thank you so much for joining this fourth and final installment in our first series on Theopoetics. I hope you have found meaning in the conversation as I have found in my conversations about Theopoetics through these many years I have been studying and learning about it. I want to draw out a few themes, sort of pick up the threads on a few key stories on how we even got to the term theopoetics and how it is today this series exists. Our first podcast opened up with Paul Tillich, focusing primarily on the first sort of chapter of his life and his loss of faith during war. He went on from there to lead a very rich and successful academic career in the United States. We might even say he was the most influential and important theologian of the 20th century. Yet he also sort of explored this evolved version of faith that left room for questions, explorations of curiosities, and gray areas. Later in his career, Tillich was an important and founding member of a group called, at that time, SARC, the Society for the Arts, Religion, and Contemporary Culture. It's from this group, essentially, that the God is Dead movement found traction that we heard about in episode two. This, of course, culminated famously in a 1966 Time magazine cover proclaiming in big, bold letters, God is dead. You can find that article available for reading on your Kindle. It is fascinating. As you read that, you would learn they didn't mean God is dead, though, as much as a traditional language about God. They wanted to push people into newer and more hospitable understandings about faith. Unfortunately for Sark, Tillich passed away before he could see that Time magazine cover. Then, shortly after, the group's energizing force, their president, Marvin Halverson, also died tragically early in life. uh, And this left the group somewhat languishing for leadership. So the group toiled uh, in somewhat quiet background for the next 15 years or so. They did uh, uh, several neat things. They kept the conversation going. They kept the Museum of Modern Art in New York City plugging along uh, as well as a few great books were authored and put into circulation uh, from names such as Joseph Campbell, Ruben Alves and Amos Wilder. What was that both the institution of Sark and the term theopoetics Were about ready to become footnotes in the history of religion, until the 80s and 90s, when two parallel movements gained steam. Firstly, the organization itself finally hired and found some energetic leadership. It remained a bit of a subculture, but there was new energy in the movement again. In fact, check them out online. They're known today as ARC, Arts, Religion, and Culture, and still exist. Secondly, two brethren people started using this term theopoetics freely. Melanie May, who was on denominational staff at the time, her story can be found in her theopoetic book titled, A Body Knows, which I cannot recommend enough. And Scott Holland, whose voice has been heard throughout this series. Well, fast forward a whole bunch of stories and a couple more decades, and I understand today. That Bethany Theological Seminary is the only institution in the country offering certificates or masters of arts in theopoetics. Yet this topic by one name or another is sweeping the academic countryside in seminary life, and our own Brethren Seminary is leading the way on the topic. See, I, I wanted to do this series of podcasts because I think theopoetics is transformational. Quite plainly, it can strengthen people's faiths. I have friends who would say it saved their faith. I might even have to place myself in that category. It's regrounded me into this expansive mystery we all enter into where faith doesn't close us off, but opens us up that when we name God, we're really just trying to describe something even deeper than the labels themselves. Could anything be more Dunker Punk? I also wanted people to recognize that this wave of religious imagination, this alternative language for faith sweeping across religious life rapidly is widely led by brethren. There are so many voices in the chorus, but brethren are playing a big role. It may not be as easy to describe or refer to as Heifer Project or Habitat for Humanity, but in many ways, brethren have been both contributors and leaders of thought on the topic of theopoetics. In more recent times for the ARC leadership, the name L. Khalid Keith Perry comes up. Keith Perry wrote the book on theopoetics, quite literally. It's titled, Way to Water, A Theopoetics Primer. In the book, in chapter 1, paragraph 2, he describes his time at Bethany's seminary. No joke, the book on Theopoetics literally begins with naming that he learned about Theopoetics at Bethany from none other than Scott Holland. Later on, the book has an entire chapter dedicated to Brethren contributions to Theopoetics featuring Scott and Melanie May. A third member of the Church of the Brethren contributed illustrations to several different portions of the book. Travis Poling There's a Wikipedia page for Theopoetics I admit it is ripe for an update but as written it names nine contemporary contributors to the topic of Theopoetics a third of which are brethren names Perhaps this shouldn't be so surprising for us William Stafford is an incredibly well-known poet in the mainstream even if it's not as well-known that he's brethren too as named in an earlier episode, we think of Ken Morse as a great songwriter, composing such beloved hymns as Move in Our Midst. But he too was a poet. Brother and Press has a book of his poetry you can buy. I highly recommend it. Brother Press also recently published a new collection of poetry as well by another great Ken, Ken Gibble, titled A Poetry of the Soul. LaDonna Sanders-Nikoski has been heard on several Dunker Punk podcast episodes. She's the director of intercultural ministries for the Church of the Brethren and author of the very recently published collection of poetry titled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. I just purchased my copy and can't wait to read it. And we heard from Julia Baker Swan in the last podcast, whose MA thesis will assuredly become another published theopoetic work of hers, adding to her other collection of poetry, The Moon is Always Whole. Friends, this is just the list I came up with in five minutes off the top of my head. Assuredly, I have left some great brethren names out for which I apologize to them and to you listeners there are some incredible brother and resources out there these days if the series has been meaningful for you i encourage you to follow up on some of these resources named or that you might be aware of through your own circles in just a minute we'll bring back another great brother and resource scott holland Three questions, and we'll be brief. You've spent significant time teaching others about theopoetics. I'm curious if you'd be willing to rewind your, your story a bit and uh, reflect on why you started to study it to begin with. What, what is theopoetics to your faith and life?
1: Yeah, this is a very, I think, important question, probably for anyone who is drawn to theopoetics. I would say for me, in high school, college, university, I was very much drawn to the arts. In fact, I believe that religion's closest analog was probably art, not flat ethics. And therefore, the arts opened up possibilities for me to think about meaning making, to think about The other, to think about God. And I think as I moved in the direction of ministry, as you know, I was a pastor for a number of years. In fact, the first 12 years of my tenure at Bethany Theological Seminary, I continued to pastor a congregation as the lead pastor. I think in those early years moving into ministry, it was pulling me away from some of my earlier loves for art, because ministry seemed to be so focused on a kind of God talk and a kind of technique that sometimes was not as artful. But I found in my genuine practice of ministry that there was a place for the theopoetic. And as I began to use theopoetics in sermons, actually use theopoetics in contexts where there was conflict, it opened up many possibilities. And so this led me to a more serious return to the arts, but more specifically to this notion of a theopoetic in contrast to a theologics. And it has only continued over the years.
0: I know I've experienced sometimes feeling a little disjointed or disconnected that I am a series of unrelated passions where I have found more meaning and contentment in life and with God is when you can sort of combine those. So I love the arts and I love God. And those aren't two separate thoughts. What does it my, mean to bring those back together and stitch them together into a holistic paradigm? I love that so much. Um Question two, if, if someone liked what you're saying now or has found meaning in the last several podcasts in this series, uh, this question, the next question, talk about how might someone keep the conversation going? How might someone keep engaging? So let's begin with books. I know um, you've joked you're a professional reader, so this might be hard for you not to list a hundred books. Can you just name maybe three books or authors? If someone wanted to learn more or experience more theopoetics in their life, uh, what might they uh, check out? We won't hold you to this list later. Just name a few for us.
1: Well, I would say it would be, I think, important perhaps to begin uh, with, the foundational study in theopoetics, which in some ways is a bit dated, but nevertheless I think important, and that is Amos Wilder's book, Theopoetics. And I think Wilder opens for us the possibilities of moving from some of the more traditional ways of naming God into new metaphors, new symbols, and a new poetics. I think that's an interesting place to begin and then recognize that there's much beyond Wilder. Many of the students in the current program really appreciate the work of Rubem Alves, because Alves Traces his own pilgrimage from a really serious theologian, a liberation theologian, to a more theopoetic theologian. And that theopoetic in no ways exiles or edits out concerns for liberation or concerns for really thoughtful God talk, but it provides a more integrated way of thinking about God, world, self, and others. Uh, You asked for three, so um, I would say the third, watch for my book, which I hope to have completed after my sabbatical, which is coming up. And I'm pulling together a number of my works in edited form, revised form, plus writing some new things on Theopoetic's that hopefully can be used as a kind of text, although not textbook, but a kind of text in our Theopoetics program at Bethany. So for my sabbatical, which is coming up in the fall, I'm going to give a great deal of time to that project.
0: Well, you know, I uh, would buy that myself and look forward to that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I very much uh, enjoyed the Ruben Alves, the transparencies of eternity was uh, meaningful for me if I had to pick sort of one book, uh, anything Mary Oliver for me, uh, and there's so many great poets. Um, if someone also wanted to keep this going and maybe a little more official, uh, studious way, uh, I understand there's some exciting things happening at Bethany Theological Seminary in partnership with the Earlham School of Religion.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, At Bethany, as you know, Matt, we started uh, some years ago a graduate certificate program in theopoetics and the theological imagination. We've had a number of students move through that certificate program. We have a number of students in that program now. And more recently, we have launched the full Master's in Theopoetics and Writing, which is a partnership program between Bethany and the Earlham School of Religion. And we have some really great students in that program. We are graduating our first class of full MA students. We have four students who are taking the MA in Theopoetics and Writing this spring, and it's a very new program. So they've moved through the program rather swiftly. And uh, we're happy to see their really fine work and accomplishments. So those programs uh, are attracting a lot of attention. Uh, In our classrooms for those programs, we we hope to be not only inclusive, but uh, deeply uh, welcoming and expansive in how we think about God and one another. And so, yeah, they're great programs and we're, we're attracting uh, a wide variety of students from across the country.
0: Having been in some of those classrooms with you as teachers, Scott, I I just want to note that there are some amazing conversations happening in these classes, much like you've been hearing in the last couple episodes. In particular, I think uh, the last episode featuring Carol Davis and Julia Baker-Swan and myself uh, would really sort of be a model of a type of conversation that might be happening um, at seminary of all places. And so if this is in uh, the cards for you, I would recommend any listener to consider that an option. Well, as we bring our time to a close, Scott, I just want to say thank you for all your work on behalf of the community of faith, uh, ushering in uh, new language, new metaphors. As we, we continue to describe the same God we've always been describing, Uh, but offering people the hospitable spaces we need to find meaningful and uh, up-to-date faith experiences. So we're experiencing God and our faith in God in new and deep and meaningful ways. So Scott, I, I just thank you for helping us explore God beyond the God we name.
1: My pleasure.
0: Hey, Dunker Punks. Thanks so much for traveling along this journey together with me. I'm curious, what has this journey stirred up in you? Maybe you've realized areas you have left to deconstruct or found courage for the deconstruction. Maybe you've realized it's time to start reconstructing or you found new metaphors, new ways of thinking or talking about God, not that first God, but the God beyond, the God we name. As we live out the prayer, God delivering us from God, may we all see these new horizons together, and seeing beyond that first range of hills that we've struggled to see beyond before. We've concluded each podcast in the series with a poem, so we'll conclude this one with two. This is filed under the category of one story inviting another story, one movement of faith inviting another step towards faith. This is one poetic expression inviting another poetic expression. I'll read the first this is taken from the aforementioned Transparencies of Eternity by Ruben Alves. It's my favorite short excerpt or poem that, in a way, sort of describes what theopoetic means to me. If I had to describe it in just one short excerpt, this is the closest I can come. And then Scott will read his response. While writing this page, I am listening to Beethoven's Appassionata the same sonata that Lenin could listen to all day long without getting tired of it. Its effect was such that he feared being magically transformed into joy and love, feelings incompatible with revolutionary needs, which explains why political activists, by and large, do not favor classical music. If I could hold a conversation with my dog and ask him, do you believe in the appassionata? My dog would answer, Absolutely. Do you think I'm deaf? I can hear it. By the way, this noise is interfering with my sleep. But I, unlike my dog, feel like crying because of its beauty. Its beauty has taken over my body and made my hair stand on end. Beauty has become flesh.
1: And That is a beautiful passage. And... Throughout that little book, Alves is attempting to remind us that outside of beauty, there is no salvation,
2: Hmm.
1: and I think that's a wonderful proclamation and affirmation. I'm thinking of a short poem uh, by the great Jewish poet Yehuda Amachai, and In our classrooms and in the broader work of theopoetics, we really strive to create hospitable space for exploration, space that is welcoming, space that is expansive. And in this short poem, Amakai reflects on finding this kind of space. The poem is entitled The Place Where We Are Right. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves Dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood.